This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your tablet, smartphone, and desktop. Support the show and get a free audiobook of your choice by visiting audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Follow Standard Orbit, Mr. Chekhov, and take us in. I said... Is the word of Landru. Joy to you, friends, and thanks for joining us here in Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated show to the original series. My name is Drew, or Landru, and this is my co-host, Mike. Hello. Hey, Mike. Hey. So I've got something I need to share with, with all of you Trek fans out there. Apparently, I adopted Tribbles. Oh, that was nice of you. I thought they were guinea pigs, but the other day, uh, my wife and I came home from the shop and... She's cleaning out the guinea pig cage, and she just screams, ah! And so I go over to see what she's yelling about, and behold, in our two-female guinea pig cage was a third guinea pig. Hmm. I don't know if you know guinea pigs, but they come out, like, ready to go. They've got fur and claws, and they're fully mobile and able to eat solid food. So it was like a miniature version. It was either like we had a tribble... Or uh, a gremlin, you know, like when you get them wet and they pop off and they make little versions of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. What are those called? Mowgli? That's the name of the one. Or is that the name of the guy in Jungle Book? I think it's Mogwai or <laughs> Mogwai, something. I've never actually it. seen the movie, but oh, I will. But yeah, I, I, we were taken aback by the addition of another guinea pig. So, uh, But there's only one? Because right. I mean, I thought most of these times, most of the time they ha- these things come in like litters. No. Well, the guinea... I mean, we got the guinea pigs when they were like three to four weeks old. Mm-hmm. And the one was already pregnant when we got them. So I can't... I mean, she was only a little bigger than the size of her baby is now. So I imagine that she couldn't grow more than one at a time or she would have just exploded. Oh, okay. So it wasn't that like... The two female ones, like one was actually a male one or something like that. No, 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 no. I, I I checked again. They're both females. One of them was pregnant when we bought it, which it was just a baby when we bought it. So I'm guessing it was born pregnant. Okay. All right. That All it does sense. is eat and make little little guinea pigs. All right. Well, don't give it any more quattro triticale or else you're going to run into some trouble. Yes. Especially if the grain has been poisoned. Yes. In an evil Klingon plot, which brings us to the topic of today's episode. Yes. All right. <laughs> Segway. <laughs> Today, we're going to cover Klingons. Just Klingons in general. How they were presented in the original series. How they're presented in the, the original series movies. Maybe why we keep going back to them. Uh, stuff like that. Yeah. When we first meet the Klingons, it's in Errand of Mercy where we all of a sudden get an info dump about Klingons. Yes. It, it's it's more of a, a tell-don't-show kind of thing, which tends to be the Klingons in, in general, which reminds me a lot of how the Ferengi are presented in the first few episodes of The Next Generation. Where it's like, you better watch out, them Ferengi are evil and they'll eat you alive. Yeah. But that at least has some lead-up to the ultimately disappointing Ferengi, at least the Next Generation versions. But in here, it's just like, ah, oh, the Klingons, you know, we're at war with them. We are? What? We, since when? Why have we never mentioned this before? Yeah, I guess it's kind of weird in that, you know, 
Roddenberry was always like, we're, it's a peaceful thing, you know, it's, we're not at war, you know, this isn't the military, but we're at war, and I guess these would be the guys who would fight people when we're at war, sort of. It never, but they're not the military. It never really worked, <laughs> you know. It just so happens that these explorers also would fight the war. Right, because, I mean, who else is going to do that, you know? So in Aaron and Mercy, we meet Kor, who is leading the Klingon occupation of Organia. It's really, it's not a very good occupation. Uh, sure, they say that they're killing a bunch of Organians and stuff, but there's really only like eight. Mm-hmm. I was I was kind of hoping that that the remastered version would add, you know, like digitally double some of these guys, so at least there's like sixteen of them. Yeah, not quite in the budget. Yeah, I imagine it would be like the the Urukai and the two towers, where it's like you know, oh look at all these Klingons, and the camera goes over all these hundreds of thousands of Klingons who are invading this place. No, there's only like eight or nine. Yeah, I vaguely remember. They did that add show. more ships in orbit, which is nice. That's good. That's good. Yeah. But the the Klingons, they're the they're the evil bad guys. They have a mind sifter where they'll like interrogate you and it'll like mess up your brain and you they get all this information out of you, which doesn't come up again. But hey, you know. Well, you know, I mean different tools for different jobs, I guess, you know, right? Yeah. Okay. I mean it would have been useful in some of these other episodes. Yeah, I guess so. But you know, maybe they ran out. Oh, it's entirely possible. And, you know, the upcoming episode of Phase 2 uh, is supposed to, is called the Mind Sifter, so I assume that they may cover why they never really use it. Really? It is called the Mind Sifter? Yes, it is. Interesting. So the, the Klingons and the Federation want to get to fighting, but the Organians uh, don't want to be fought over. It turns out that they're omniscient, omnipowerful beings who can just stop the fighting by making everybody's weapons really hot. Yeah. And he says, no more war. And so the, as soon as we find out that there is a war between the Klingons and the Federation, there's not a war. Yeah. Supposedly. Well, it's one of those things where, you know, the Klingons have always sort of been used as like a, a, a proxy for, well, primarily, I guess, the Russians, if, if the Federation is supposed to be the Americans in the, the Cold War. And, um, you know, the idea of an omniscient being coming down and being like, hey, guys, stop fighting. I mean, that's some pretty uh, on-the-nose social commentary right there, which I guess is what you'd kind of expect. But one of the things that I like about it is even though the Klingons are presented as the bad guys, right, the omniscient beings, the Organians or whatever they're called, aren't just like, you Klingons, stop annoying these good humans over here. It's, you know, they're like, all of you, stop. You're a bunch of children. Go home. You know? Yeah, that's true. He he also lays, the, the Organians lay into the humans even more than they do the Klingons. Mm-hmm. Because the, the humans are like, oh, we're the good guys. We should fight these guys. And it's like, well, you can be good without fighting people. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Originally, Kor was supposed to come back and uh, become like a like a reoccurring villain in mm-hmm. all these other uh, Klingon episodes, but they never found the opportunity to uh, to do that. So we get Not different on the Klingons. Original in... Series they didn't. Right, there's a lot of reoccurring Klingons in all the other ones. 
In fact, there's even a Klingon on the bridge. I don't understand. No, but what I'm saying is they, they were able to bring Kor back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Which is, which was so cool. Yes. For those who don't know, there's uh, a few episodes of Deep Space Nine where the uh, the original series, big three Klingons, uh, come and team up with Worf and Dax to do stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, it's cool. pretty cool. Yes. The next few times that we run into the Klingons, it's mostly them trying to undermine other cultures to hurt the Federation without it being outright war. We've got Friday's Child, Trouble with Tribbles, and A Private Little War in Season 2, which are, you know, in Friday's Child, they're trying to put the person that they want in power over this culture. In Trouble with Tribbles, they're trying to poison the grain so that uh, this... So that this settlement will fail and the planet will be given over to the Klingons. And in a private little war, they're uh, covertly supplying weapons to the anti-Federation group on this planet. And, you know, Kirk has to debate whether or not it's right to supply weapons to the other side so that they can survive. Yeah, and, and all of those, I think, are good because they all sort of deal with, you know, different sides of a a cold war scenario you know and the idea of sort of like covert warfare in a sense Mm -hmm. you know and uh it's it's cool how they were able to sort of take this this uh one um alien race and make them sort of like the big bad guys and sort of put them at war with the federation but not make each episode just like there's some bad guys over there let's just start shooting at them you know Right. It's a lot more kind of like psychological and diplomatic in a sense. I mean, in the wider canon, it's kind of hard to uh, reconcile the goofy, undermining Klingons. Uh, the Klingons, like I said last week, who you could joke about, you know, 12 Klingons hardly constitutes a swarm. And, you know, you don't need more security officers. They're just Klingons. What's the worst that can happen? And, you know, they, they sit and insult people and they don't really... They're not this over-violent, uh, honor-bound culture like, like they eventually get to. I mean, you really don't get an idea of Klingons as a whole, I feel, in the, in the original series. I mean, they, they could have used them more often, for sure. But uh, I think, like, in the case that you're talking about, like, with Trouble with Triples, you know, there's a thing that the original series did, which is kind of similar to what um, the X-Files would do, where, you know they had episodes of different tones and they weren't afraid to like shift tones from week to week and go off into some crazy directions and put these characters who may be super serious in one episode into absolutely crazy situations in the next. And I kind of see Trouble with Tribbles as being that. I mean, it doesn't necessarily contradict anything that came before, but they were like, we want to use these characters and, and this, you know, alien race in this episode to do something different than we use them for in, you know, a different episode. And if you were to watch the two episodes back to back, you know, maybe they wouldn't really line up as much as they should, but in the end, you know, who cares because it's best for this particular story, Mm -hmm. which I like. I mean, but yeah. And they do that with the crew here too. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because even a private little war is, you know, kind of a dark episode. Yeah. And then, you know, coming off of the last time we saw the Klingons, we were going goofy and laughing. and Right. He doesn't like you, Mr. Barris. I wonder why. Yeah. 
too, you know, oh, we're, you know, serpents in the Garden of Eden and let's get out of here. And uh. Yeah. But that's the beautiful thing about science fiction is telling the story that you, telling the story that needs to be told however it needs to be told. Right. And really with, with TOS being more of an anthology show, it makes sense to to do that. Yeah, you can definitely get away with it, you know. On something like Battlestar Galactica, that might not work out too well. What about the uproarious comedy episode of Battlestar when, uh, <laughs> I can't even think of things. It, it, that, that would be Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down, <laughs> which apparently is loved by everyone who acted in it and hated by everyone who wrote it and produced it and everyone who saw it. But what can you do? <laughs> So then in season three, we get another kind of undermining thing with Alana Troyes, or however you say that. It's another one of those titles that I don't bring up in polite conversation because I don't know how to say it. Close enough. <laughs> the only episode of the original series to be written and directed by the same person. Ooh. Yeah. Don't ask I me why gonna, I know that. I was going to ask how you knew that. <laughs> don't. <laughs> But then we get uh, Day of the Dove with Kang and a Klingon ship and, a, and the Enterprise are set to fighting one another by a, a crazy sparkly energy guy who feeds on hate. So he, he puts them all on board the Enterprise and gives them all swords so that they're all fighting. And whenever they kill each other, they just come back and uh, sounds like a video game. Sounds like a really cool video game. I, I'd like to. I'd like to play that. Why don't they do that as a video game? I mean, they, they have Star Trek video games. Let's do an Aaron to Mercy video game. Yeah. And the only no, way you can is win is by... Day of the Dove. Day of the Dove. Oh, Day of the Dove, right. And the only way you can win is by um, stopping, just not playing By stopping the game. playing. There's, the there's only no way, way to win. win is to not play. Once you say, once you say quit, then it says you win. <laughs> That'd be a cool video game. I'd play that. Oh, yeah, we could do that. You make it like you make it like a Mortal Kombat style game, right? Okay. So you have all the crew, you have all the Klingons. You can bring in some other people too. I mean, there's no reason why we can't just expand this. It's a video game, right? So you can bring in next right. gen, you can bring in whatever. But the only way that you you can win individual battles, right? But the only way to end the game and to win the game is to quit. <laughs> that would be awesome. I'm imagining like Picard versus Locutus. Oh my god. Some really cool battles. Oh my Uhura god. Uhura versus Seven of Nine. Now now I want this game. That would be so <laughs> cool. You could have Worf versus a Tribble. <laughs> oh my god. Why don't they make this? Why why uh, I mean I, oh man. I, I highly I highly doubt if that if you can make video games, yeah. please make this video game. I highly doubt that anyone from CBS listens to this show, but if you do, pass this word along because come <laughs> on, seriously? This is they like They made a Star Wars one. Yeah, Masters of Terrace Kazi, right? Yeah. I had that game. It was awesome. Mainly it was because like so good with the lighting the effects. The lighting in in the in the uh uh carbon freezing chamber. Yeah, oh that was God. the whole reason to buy the game. Yes, it was great. I mean, come on, guys. Someone, someone, please. <laughs> Jeez. We can even fit it into canon. Come on, people. Yeah. 
So in the actual episode of Day of the Dove, they end up fighting. Oh man, Core... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just one more thing. No, here, no, keep right? going. Prime Universe Kirk versus <gasps> JJ Universe Kirk. Oh man, with their different fighting styles, right? And like one yeah. shooting, and the other ones like using hand-to-hand combat. Okay, doing that flying Kirk kick, right? And then, of course, the Gorns in there. Oh, my God. Okay, anyway, continue. Klingons, is that what we were talking about? I think so. Okay. Uh, yeah, in the end of this, in the end of Day of the Dove, uh, Kirk and the Klingons must put aside their, their differences and laugh the the villain sparkly cloud off the ship. Mm-hmm. Which is a great way to end... The Klingons run on TOS with everybody laughing together. And, you know, if we put aside our differences, we can make peace. Yeah, it's actually very um, philosophical when you think about it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that that was the intent, but it's a, it's a very interesting end to that um, that villain on the show. Yeah. They do show up again. Oh, I mean, well Kalos yeah. shows up again. Mm-hmm. Never mind. But that doesn't count because it's just uh, the Excalibur recreation. That's true. It's not those a real... big rock, big rock people. Yeah, it's not a real Klingon. Right. Yeah, and it's definitely not Kalos. No, no, <laughs> not from what we learned later. Yes. So even though they weren't really used very often in the original series, sure they were used like uh, six or seven times. Uh, they became like the go-to bad guys of the movies yeah yeah i mean i think they were kind of supposed to be the go-to bad guys of the show too i mean we do see them more than any other um alien race right i mean right it's it's them and then romulans and then harry mudd yeah right so i mean it kind of makes sense that in in the movies they'd be like Klingons, yeah and in motion picture i mean i think that was just sort of really like hey Klingons, oh yeah hey yeah yeah it's cool we changed how they looked, and we hope that you recognize them as Klingons, but... Mm-hmm. Now, now this. Okay. So, Roddenberry always said, that's how the Klingons always looked. So, should we have just imagined the TOS Klingons as having ridges and stuff? I think that's what the intention was. But now, of course, that's not the case. Right. Once Worf pointed out the difference in Trouble with Tribbles, and then they flat out gave a whole plot to it in Enterprise. Right. Which Worf had to do. Because, I mean, if you're going to be mixing, if you're going to have two of those types of Klingons in the same episode, then you have to acknowledge it, finally. Right. And they did a I was hoping job. that it was a whole, that they would eventually just be like, it was a perceptive filter kind of thing, that TOS is kind of a low-budget future recreation of Kirk's missions and that they couldn't really show Klingons as they were, and that they always did have ridges. So yeah, but now there's some that do, and some that don't, and some that eventually grow ridges later. And right, it's complicated because it's trying to find a fictional answer to a real world problem. Right. I don't. I wasn't around. I mean, like I wasn't paying attention when Deep Space Nine had the the old Klingons back on. Uh, did people like throw a fit? Like, well, how did they get ridges back? I'm sure there were people who did that. I think most people were just like, whatever, we know how this works. You know, <laughs> budgets and stuff. What are you going to do? So in the movies, we've got Klingons. we got Klingons everywhere. 
we've Klingons in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight out of twelve movies. Yeah, Klingons at least make an appearance. Yeah, makes sense. So in in motion picture, they're really just kind of a you know we need bad guys to show off uh, how awesome the Vedra Cloud is. Right, and it makes sense to use the Klingons because it's like. The Klingons are the fiercest warriors in the galaxy, and basically they are nothing when it comes to this this right cloud. It, it, it's kind of like in Jurassic Park 3 when they kill off the, the T-Rex by the Spinosaurus to show you that the spine You thought this guy was cool. Well, this guy's even more cool. Yeah. I rolled my eyes, but you couldn't see that. <laughs> then... After Star Trek Two, that which they had some other guy, I don't know, as the bad guy. I wasn't really paying attention. Yeah, nobody pays attention to Star Trek Two. Yeah, whatever. It's kind of insignificant in the grand scheme. Finally, in Star Trek Three, we get Christopher Lloyd as a Klingon. Yeah, and we get a whole bunch of the Klingon language, and uh, uh, they they start really like developing a culture. They don't mention. They they worry about war and 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 wiping each other out, but uh, no mention of the Organians, which is is kind of weird. Well, I mean, it's kind of cool that they did sort of return the Klingons to their original position. In that, you know, I mean, it, again, it doesn't have to be Klingons, but it makes sense since they were always sort of the go-to bad guys when it came time for showing off a new war and stuff, uh, or or whatever a new um, conflict. It makes sense that you would use them for the bad guys in in, in this movie, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it does. It makes it makes sense. It makes more sense in the Romulans and mm-hmm. or or anybody else. In Star Trek Four, we get my favorite Klingon of of the original series era, the uh, the ambassador. Yes, uh, who who argues with Sarek at the beginning of the movie? Yeah, which. Uh, He's got some of my favorite lines, like, we deny nothing. We have the right to preserve our race. Yes. Yeah, he's cool. John Shuck, I believe, is his name. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really like him, Falk, uh, Klingon Ambassador. And he shows up again in Star Trek Six and pretty much does the same thing. Yes. Which is cool. Yes. It's the best. He's just, ah, oh, you just want to kill us all. No, we don't. We Just calm down, Klingon guy. <laughs> But they're not the villains, really. They're not the villains. They they do hold an, oppo- hold an opposing viewpoint at the beginning of the movie. But uh, the whales, the whale problem, unites everybody in friendship. Yeah, yeah. As saving the whales normally does. Yes. In Star Trek V, uh, they get involved because some young guy just wants to be, hey, there's the Enterprise. I should go blow that up. For no reason and no real point to the plot or anything. Because it's Kirk, and if you can kill Kirk, then you're showing your superiority. I think what we're seeing in Star Trek V is sort of um, the first time, and maybe the only time, in the original series era where you're seeing the influence of what was being done on Next Generation. Mm-hmm. So, Well, they're friends now, so let's show how they became friends. Yeah. And also kind of like with their culture in some ways, you know, like, you know, glorious battles and, you know, you want to die in battle and, you know, if you can take down this guy, then that's amazing because he's a great warrior, so it'll show that you're a great warrior and all that stuff. 
and um, it doesn't really work. It really feels no. like in terms of its place in the movie that it's just sort of um, tacked on as sort of like a complicating factor, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Because Cybok and God aren't enough enemies. We need to throw Klingons in the mix. Right, because you need something to shoot something. Right. Yeah. You got to have something shooting at the shuttle. That's no good. Yeah. I mean, God doesn't shoot people. Well, he I guess does. he kind of does, but yeah. Well, whatever. Not until the very end. He doesn't shoot people <laughs> with the starship, you know, because what does God need with the starship? Exactly. Well, yeah. obviously he needs one to shoot people. I guess so. Duh. Yeah. Yeah. Star Trek Six is, is like the crowning point of, of Klingondom yes. in, in the original series. Uh it's just all about and it's and it takes your 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 thing like you said about them representing the Russians in the Cold War and just runs a whole movie with that. Yeah, this one it had to be the Klingons. You couldn't do anyone mm-hmm. else. And it really sort of is just like Star Trek Six is sort of the culmination of the original series and the end of their story and and their journey it it's that for the klingons as well and in a sense since you are doing the end of these characters journey and and the klingons were such a a large part of that you almost have to have that in there um as sort of an acknowledgement and obviously just like the klingons um were representative of you know the 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 Russians in the Cold War back in the sixties, now you know in the in the eighties, it's or the early nineties, it's they they're still representative of that and our and, and America's relationship with them and and the idea that you know we're not enemies anymore and we need to learn how to work together. All stuff that <laughs> Gene Roddenberry was saying back in 1966, you know, the world finally mm-hmm. caught up with him and, you know, and, and, and it happened. So, I mean, that's just perfect to me, just absolutely perfect and definitely my favorite of any Klingon anything in Star Trek. Oh, yeah. And we get, they, they quote Shakespeare, there's jokes about how they eat, how they smell. And <laughs> yeah. I mean... General Chang, I think, is the best Klingon villain ever in Star Trek. And, God, I mean, you know, there's the, the way that it, the movies have been going with the JJ-verse, you know, it, it seems like they're headed towards a confrontation with the Klingons, even mm-hmm. though, you know, some stuff that people have said have sort of contradicted that. But if that's if that is where they're going, if we're going to an all-out battle with the Klingons, and they want to bring in elements from the original timeline. I mean, people keep on saying Kor and Kang and Koloth or whatever. To me, the villain is Chang, you know? <laughs> that would be awesome. Lieutenant Chang. Yeah, yeah. Or Captain Chang or whatever it would be. I don't know. Well, he's general, so I don't know how they, that works, but yeah. Yeah, no. It'd be really cool. Somebody gets to wear an eye patch. That's always neat. Yeah. Or maybe he loses his eye in this. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, Did you ever notice? I You can't see. Well, maybe you can't. Not, well, no, you can't because the transfer is so terrible. But right. if you look at the uh, the publicity stills and stuff from, from that thing, where he's got the eye patch and it's like bolted onto his eye. Did you yeah. ever notice that the bolts have little Klingon symbols engraved into them? That's so cool. Yeah. I imagine that there's like a Klingon screwdriver bit. Yeah. 
that's their little Klingon logo, and that's what they use. That's for what all they use their, as the bit. Yeah, yeah, that's their Phillips as, equivalent. As, yeah, as if Phillips wasn't bad enough. Jeez, Klingon. <laughs> <laughs> Get on that, think geek. Yeah, <laughs> Klingon drill bits. Well, they need to make screws too, though. Oh uh, well, I guess so. Yeah. People complain about Apple's proprietary screws. Yeah. Hmm. So in generations, kind of. I mean, it's well, there's not really an hour half of the movie. Yeah, but no, there's a Lursa and Lursa and Bator. Yeah, yeah. But then we're into the next gen era, so that doesn't really count. But but coming back around in Star Trek Into Darkness, there are finally some more Klingons, and in deleted scenes from 2009. Right, yeah, they were cut out of 2009. They're in Into Darkness. And uh, I like how, even though they've chosen not to make them the villains yet in these new movies, that there is that sort of bubbling of conflict beneath the surface. Like, we're, mm-hmm. we're not at war with them, but, you know, we're a hair... We will be. Yeah, we're a hair trigger away from being at war with them. And that's really sort of what into darkness is all about in a sense you know in terms of like the villain's motivation it was trying to escalate the arms race or whatever yeah i I like the idea of i'm I'm glad that they're they're going with the you know well they're on the five-year mission and this star trek three will take place you know out far out in space and i like that idea but i also kind of you know a movie's a place for uh you know big budget Klingon Enterprise battle. Maybe they'll just do like a, you know, have Tobias Richter make a make a CG, you know, Klingon Enterprise battles. Here you go. Here's a two-hour DVD of just yeah, Klingon battles. That'd be cool. I could I could deal with that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, what they do, whether they want to go the war route or or not or whatever. But I'm very curious. Yeah. So Klingons, yeah, definitely the uh, the the main bad guys, you know, the main misunderstood other culture of the original series. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important that you know, in the original series, they are considered to be the quote unquote villains, so that in Next Generation they can be not the villains, and I think that there's you know definitely a big statement which is being made by doing that but you kind of need them to be the villains here in order to change that up later on mm-hmm. yeah. i wonder how much of like when they added Chekhov, they said that they did it because they wanted to show a russian on the bridge and kind of show that we can all get along in the future mm-hmm. i wonder how much of Worf being on the bridge of next generation is related to that same concept I, I think, Which is weird because we literally did it. Why do we need a sci-fi version of it? Like, look, the the Federation version of the Russians, we all get along. We already had the actual Russians. Yeah, I, th- I think they have definitely said that that was what they were going for and in terms of why to do it. I think it is kind of to make a statement, even if even if it already happened, to just be like, hey, we told you so. You know, but also, um, you know, I mean, tensions were still rather high when next gen mm-hmm. started. So um I think that's kind of part part of what's going on there. 
And does that make Worf the checkoff of Next Generation? Yeah. I mean, Worf's definitely the checkoff of Next Generation. Even, even like, in terms of their jobs, like, in the movies, Chekhov was security chief, and now Worf is, you know, prior to that, they were mm-hmm. doing something else that no one really knows what it was. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, Worf <laughs> is definitely the Chekhov. Worf's even, you know, grew up in Russia. Oh, my God, he did, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> I mean... He doesn't look as cool as Chekhov since he doesn't have the monkey haircut. Right. But maybe, I mean, you know, his hairstyle is changing rather frequently. Maybe if they were to make another movie or if, oh, if that, uh, you know, Michael Dorn series ever comes to fruition, give him the monkey haircut. I can see that. That'd be good. Well, it was fun talking about Klingons and Worf and monkeys today, but that's just one of the Trek topics we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Also, I never know whether it's pronounced Babel or Babel, so I always feel um, scared to talk about it. <laughs> that you don't want to bring it up in polite conversation. Yeah, Journey to the Boon, you know. You know, journey to journey. Yeah. Journey to, to, to the center to, of the to, earth. To the journey, yes. Earl Grey. Patrick Stewart said, look, we can have that scene where Worf explains why he's in the movie, or we can have my Mambo scene, but we can't have both. So. <laughs> the orb. He just completely sells it, and he is Benjamin Sisko by this point. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. Well, he better be Benjamin Sisko by this point, yeah. Matthew. There's only one episode left in the series. This is true. This is true. To the journey! And this is, I would dare even say, when he uh, starts falling in love with Captain Janeway. This is the road that leads to the bathtub. From this point forward, he is just ever so slowly falling for her. And the monkey. Warp 5. They were just like, okay, we know this is the end, so screw it. We're just going to do whatever the hell we want. And putting Shatner in there, it's just like, why not? Who cares? The ready room. Also, one other thing it reminded me of when they're in space, the escape pod that Trip and Kaitama use. Did that not look to you guys like the ship from Pigs in Space without the engines? Yes. Oh my gosh. You're right. You're absolutely right. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. There are two notes that I seriously made. There were two notes that I made. Mm -hmm. One of them is, I love Riker's TV. I question what he's watching. Commentary, Trek stars. Robert Wise. If he's on the bridge of the Voyager, he's not even back at Harry Kim's station, right? He's one of the extras in the background who has to stand because he doesn't even have a chair. Literary Treks. If you're waiting for one of the core cast of Vanguard to show up in these books, you're going to be waiting a long time. Because as long as the three of us have anything to say about it, it ain't going to happen. Continuing mission. The big thing here is I did it all for the cost of 3ds max which i bought with an educational discount so like 300 bucks i don't think you can get an educational discount on materials to build an (laughs) actual set can you axonar the official podcast when i learned the concept behind prelude to axonar that was going to be a history channel style documentary i just i got so excited like my favorite star trek book ever is david goodman's federation the first 150 years Mm -hmm. because i just love uh, it's it's a history book. 
And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and get in on the daily Trek talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Windows Podcast Directory for Xbox and Zune, or you can stream from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash podcast to get all the links. Let's tell everyone where they can contact us if they'd like to share their thoughts on today's show. Just go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send a show and choose Standard Orbit. That'll come to both of us by email. You can also use the tab on the left-hand column of any page to send us a voicemail using your webcam's microphone. And you can talk to us and our other listeners at our new Facebook group, The Babel Conference, Trek FM Listeners Group. In social media, you'll find our Facebook page at facebook.com slash trekfm and on Twitter under username trekfm. Mike, where can people find you out of orbit? Uh, you can find me right here on Trek FM doing commentary Trek stars uh, with Max, and you can also find myself and Max along with Brandon on commentary Trek stars off topic, which is at commentarytrackstars.com. And you can find me on Twitter at mumbles3k. And you can find me on Twitter at 005, D-O-U-B-L-E-O-F-I-V-E, and various other places around the interwebs. We have a message from Brad in Virginia, and he says, Guys, that is an awesome idea for a show. Maybe on the ready room, call it the Mike and Drew Headcanon Guide to the 24th Century. So I'm guessing that's uh, your concept of taking the... Uh, uh, I don't, I don't even know. It's sort of an alternate reality. It's a uh, what happens after generations. And um, maybe we can do this as something like a bonus thing on for Patreon or something like that because it doesn't really fit into the original series. It would be it would be a good topic for either for probably the ready room more than anything else. But I've got a whole well, I don't know if the ready room or whatever. I don't know. One of those other shows. It doesn't fit in any show, really. So, but I've got an idea for how I would have done post generations continuity. Mm -hmm. Voyager fans probably wouldn't be too happy, but <laughs> there would still be Voyager. So maybe we can do that as a Patreon bonus thing. Okay. Okay. Uh, continuing, Brad says, First of all, they answered the Worf and TNG movies thing in First Contact. He was captain of the Defiant, similar to Sulu in Star Trek VI, but they wimped out and had the Defiant get damaged but salvageable. The Mike and Drew headcanon guide questions for this situation would be, why wasn't the Defiant better at taking on a single board ship since that's what they were designed for, but cut a swath of destruction through the entire Dominion and Cardassian fleets? And why wasn't the Defiant's broken state never mentioned on DS9 and was never missing from the show? Yeah. I, okay, let's say I, 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 I just, let's just say I didn't think about it that that much. I wasn't like, why isn't this <laughs> taking out a thing? It's more in terms of like placement. So here's a little a little teaser, right? Why was Worf in command of uh, the Defiant and not someone else? And that, to me, is the cornerstone of this whole thing. So, <laughs> all right. <laughs> There's your teaser. If you want to know the rest of it, um, donate to Patreon and we'll stick this thing up there. <laughs> Uh, another question that would be in the head canon guide. The guys over at Mission Law gave a good answer out of universe, but I haven't been able to find a rationale in universe. And that's why you never see a constitution or constitution refit ships in later shows. The Excelsior class was to be the workhorse of TNG, and you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a Miranda class on DS9. And both of those are contemporaries of the constitution refits, but you never see a constitution class in any of the later shows, even in the big battles during the Dominion War. 
it, it's interesting uh, about this in that uh, someone actually mentioned on the uh, Babel conference, our Facebook group, Will Nugent says that uh, his in-universe theory was that the refit Constitution class suffered the same fate as the Ambassador class, another ship that's rarely seen outside of a few episodes. The Ambassador was clearly a testbed space frame that sought to bridge the Excelsior class and the Galaxy class. However, with the accelerated time travel bought on by the Borg incursions and first contact with the Dominion, Starfleet doubled down on producing galaxies. In essence, the Ambassador became a redundant middle child and was only produced in relatively modest numbers. The same could be applied to the refit Constitution. With the advent and subsequent successful shakedown of the Excelsior class, this ship would become the backbone of Starfleet for more than a century. Additionally, Mirandas were probably less resource-intensive to service and maintain, ensuring they would also see long life as a frigate-slash-destroyer. In essence, the refit constitution and the ambassador became redundant in their traditional roles, respectively as heavy cruiser and long-range explorer by their newer siblings in a time frame that was sooner than expected. It makes sense. So one fan answers another. This is great. It's kind of like when, like... uh apple releases like a million ipods and then eventually they're like well we've got one that does everything that this one does so screw it like they retired the ipod classic yeah of course that very quietly that lasted for like years so i guess that analogy doesn't really work as well but whatever you get the idea it makes sense but in the future in the future people will wonder why there are still ipod touches but not ipod classics yes yes maybe maybe Uh, back to Brad, he says, Now, Ken and John said that the Enterprise slash Enterprise A was Kirk's ship, and they were explicitly off-limits in the later shows, which makes sense, especially if they were just going to get trashed in the Dominion War at Wolf 359, which there are refit Constitution pieces in the aftermath of Wolf 359. Mm-hmm. Brad said he'd love to hear us take on issues like this. Have a good week. B. All right, well, thank Thanks you, Thanks for Brad. writing in. Yeah, yeah. We will work on that, not nearly as as thoroughly as you might hope that we will, but, you know, broad strokes, broad strokes. Well, before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor, who helps us bring Standard Orbit to you each week, and our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible's a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. Audible's the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World, Audible has something for everyone. Mike, what do you have for everyone? I have Star Trek Conversational Klingon, which, uh... Cool. My wife has always said to me, like, we should learn Klingon, and then that way we can talk about people in front of them and they won't know <laughs> and i'm like oh yeah but you know klingon seems like it would be hard you know i don't even right. I, I'm, I'm having trouble with french you know but maybe with this book we can succeed kapla and it's an audiobook right? which is better than yes kapla yeah it's written by mark okrand who created the, the klingon language narrated by michael dorn and mark okrand it's 49 minutes long, so, you know, no problems. But I imagine you're going to have to listen to it, like, again and again and again in order to pick up on the language. It yeah. says, A comprehensive, easy-to-understand guide to the fastest-growing language in the universe. 
Conversational Klingon is presented by Michael Dorn, star of Star Trek The Next Generation and Star Trek Six The Undiscovered Country, and author Mark Okren. And Deep Space Nine. Oh, yeah, that too. And you can get this book for free since you listen to Trek FM. That's right. Hold on. Is it called Conversational Klingon? Eh? Um, eh? No. Oh. It, sorry. That's disappointing. Mm. Anyway, as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice, including that one, along with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read, or that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we want to thank Audible for supporting Standard Orbit and Trek FM. And lastly, there's another way you can keep us in orbit, and that's by supporting us on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash trekfm, you'll find a list of donation levels where you can get things like exclusive digital goodies, early access to episodes, access to our project manager, and even be listed as an associate producer in our shows. You might also get exclusive uh, episodes about uh, alternate timelines of Mike's devising. Uh, You can also find out where the donations go. They cover things like the monthly cost of hosting and distribution, hiring an editor for our shows, and upgrading our equipment. Again, that's patreon.com slash trek.fm, so check it out. Well, everybody, thanks for listening to us babble on about Klingons. Have a good week and keep on trekking. It is the will of Landry. Mr. Chekhov, take us out of orbit ahead. Walk factor one. Hi, sir. 